was like, ouch. All right, this is a new podium. The other one wasn't it sufficient enough. As I'm up here, I realize just how short I am. I this podium should be about here. Because I kind of feel like I'm doing this. Hey, the word of the Lord this morning, church. Is <laughs> Sorry. Ironically, I'm talking about maturity this morning. And so far, I'm way behind eight ball on that, aren't I? Okay, so we are in Ephesians. And we're beginning chapter four. We got 16 verses to get through. I usually spend about 30 to 40 minutes on one or two verses, so hang on to your hats this morning. But Ephesians has six chapters, and the first three chapters that we just completed would center around if kind of the same theme. It would be kind of, if it were a play, it'd be Act 1. And Chapter 4 now opens up with Act 2, so to speak. There's a change in what is being pro, uh, being written about, the first three chapters, as you know, has centered primarily on who is God, who we are in Christ. It talks about our salvation. It talks about how we're chosen, how we're adopted, how we're marked with the seal, how we're given the Holy Spirit. We've been redeemed and forgiven. He lavishes his love upon us. And last week, Joey did a wonderful job talking and leading, actually, kind of bringing us up into chapter 4, uh, talking about our love relationship with the Lord and how much he has lavished his love upon us, how high, how wide, how deep the Father's love for us, how he's made us alive, how he's seated us with Christ in heavenly places. And I tell you what, that alone should just make us all go, whoo, I'm telling you. We wrap our heads around it. You know, the, the earth, and I'm going to go on a little bunny trail already, and I got 16 verses to get through. But this seated with Christ, do you know that the earthly tabernacle was kind of a, is to represent, be a form of an image of the heavenly tabernacle? And in the Holy of Holies, in the earthly tabernacle, they didn't have no chair. There was no chair in there. But now Christ is seated in heavenly places. There is a chair in the inner sanctum in the holy places in heaven because the work is finished. It is done. And not only that, he says, we're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So whatever you're going through, let me just tell you, it's done. Spiritually speaking, it's done. We have to go through the journey. But spiritually speaking, it is finished. The best content, and another part of the context I want to put today's passage is in the context of this mystery that was going on. This mystery that was being talked about, and now Paul is saying, you know, there's been this mystery, and I'm revealing it now, and the mystery is, is that us Gentiles, we get equal billing and footing with Christ along with the Jews. 
And you got to understand, in this context, the Jewish people are still wrapping their heads around. This is all new stuff. They're not getting this into their spirits because they're thinking like, are you kidding me? No way. I mean, have you ever seen a hog burrow down in their own stink? And then those Gentiles, they take that same hog, butcher it up, and eat bacon with it. And now I'm supposed to go to synagogue and sit beside someone who's still got fried bacon grease in their hair. Are you kidding me? And that was much of the mentality of what the Apostle Paul is writing into. So there's all of this theme of unity that's going on. And then finally, the last context that I want to put today's message into and the shift for Act 2 centers around in Act 1, there was only one command. It is like something like, uh, remember this. That's all it was. In the last, in Act 2, where there's three chapters, there's 40 commands. There's a shift. It's like, now that you know who you are, now that you've been seated, now that we've firmly entrenched into what, who God is and what God has done for us, we're going to focus in on what this means. But what this tells me is, for the Apostle Paul to take the first three chapters and hone in on these things is that he knew that there's real no genuine growth in Christ until we understand really who we are and what God has done for us. I mean, until we know that, because you see, God now, because of what he's done for us, is going to go start to meddling, isn't he? He's going to get in our business. He's going to meddle into our affairs if we're not careful, though. In these last three chapters, if we're not careful with all of these imperatives, all of these commands that are coming our way, these admonitions... We're going to have to be careful that we don't let those start becoming our first love rather than Christ. You see, the only thing that keeps us from substituting and becoming a Pharisee, just like the Jews of back then who followed the Torah, and they followed all those commands and became legalistic and became the Pharisees, those who even became opposed we, you know, we can do that the same way with the New Testament. Oh, well, this is how you ought to be, and this is how you ought to act, and you should do this, and you should do that. And there's all of these things going on that we should do. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into that same trap. And the only thing that's going to keep us from becoming that it's the attitude in our heart and that love relationship with Christ. And well said last week, Joey, in terms of going into the book of Revelation and then seeing what the Lord did say to the church in Ephesus 
after this was written. So we can lose our first love and we can become and go into works in these remaining three chapters if we're not careful. And you know what else it means? Because Jesus has done everything for us. We owe it all to him. And so if he tells us that we should go to church and we should sit beside someone who's got the smell of fried bacon in their hair, then we're going to do it. Now, yeah, that's kind of humorous, right? Because in that context, it wasn't humorous. In our context, it is because, hey, bacon. <laughs> yeah, bacon and everything. Macy, whoo! <laughs> but, ah, now we're going to go to Medlin, right? What about you coming to church and you sit down beside someone and you're not sure if they're a man or a woman? Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Or what about that woman and woman? Wait a minute. And they're at church? Hmm, so the Lord goes to Medlin pretty quick because he's wanting us to extend his grace and his love and his mercy to everyone who comes in through these doors, amen? And we need to be mature enough to handle that, and that's what act two these remaining chapters start honing in on because the lord wants us to grow up in him and to be be able to scripturally relationally manage all of those differences so the verses we're going to be reading about today is about a god who's called all of us jews and gentiles to serve him and to do it in unity and to grow in or to mature in Christ as we do it. So let's begin reading Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 2. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So live a life worthy of the calling. The Greek word for worthy is axios. Okay, it doesn't mean, all right, it doesn't mean that we somehow develop worthiness now by our works. That's not at all what this passage is saying. Rather, it's saying, it's a term referring to bringing into equilibrium what's going on in our spiritual lives. For example, if you're coming into church and you've got two toddlers hanging on behind you and you've got your arms full of stuff and I'm over here at the door and I open up the door for you, right? I do something for you and you come walking through, what's the very least 
I'm going to receive from you, right? Oh, thank you. It's simply a response because of A, we do B. And we don't even think about that. But, you know, it's actually, you know, like if you're out on the road, you go to a four-way stop and they're like, and you wave, you do this. What do they do? Right? There's this appropriate response to what happened. What, in essence, Paul is getting at is because of who Christ is, what he's done for us, who we are in Christ, there is now an appropriate response for us to live out. Works is nothing more than a simple response from us. It's not about works per se. It's about our response to Christ and that there is a way to have an appropriate biblical godly response to him and the, to move on with this example the concept's no more different than when you're given the title of mom after giving birth so now a mom acts like a mom right it's a response it's an appropriate response if you've got the title of a hr director over a company you go to work and you act like you're the HR director. You balance your title with your actions. But in this case, Paul, again, like I referred to earlier, kind of goes to meddling. He goes for the jugular, doesn't he? He goes, you got to be completely, not just humble. Who's humble in here? No, come on. Who's completely humble, <laughs> right? Be humble, gentle. The, all of these things that fly in the face of a culture that has self-assertion as one of its idols. All of these differences. And, and Paul goes into it, and he talks about what our attitude is and then he leads up with the following verse in Ephesians 3, where he says, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So again, Paul is going back. There's this theme of unity that we're following that is going to broaden out then into a theme of maturity that I'm going to be focusing in on here in a few minutes. Moving on into verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were all called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so, the Apostle Paul kind of dances right into a, a little bit of a discourse, a theological discourse about who God is. He goes back to that, and he describes seven ones, which is that, that just by happenstance in the context of Scripture, seven always has a sense of completeness and wholeness to it. And so Paul refers to these seven ones, a theological doctrine that reinforces this teaching of unity. God is one. 
God is not the Father over here and the Spirit here and Jesus over here. They're all one. When you see one, you see them all. And this is in the context of a culture where there was an idol shop on every street corner in the city of Ephesus. So that thinking about different gods and then all of a sudden the disciples preaching about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Paul's attacking that and he's saying, look, but ultimately we're using that as language to describe God, but God is one. And there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and we're all in this together with God. And so he was challenging the culture of that day with, um, you know, their multiple idols and their, the fracturing that was occurring on in the, in the church. And this also, this theme flies in the face of another idol that we have in our culture today. And it's an idol that just simply says, hey, you do you. I mean, I'm just so, you do you. Yeah, you go, hey, you go on head on with yourself. Look at your big bad self. Whoo. Yeah, you do you. And Paul is challenging that in this context. So you do you has been around a long, long time. It's nothing new. It didn't just start with TikTok. It didn't just start with social media. It's been around a very, very long time. Did I hear Biden started his own TikTok? I guess that's his way to, to make it go out of style real quick. <laughs> Moving along, right? Paul goes on then to expand on this by further explaining what this unity or this body of Christ entails. Now, hang on, because these following verses, we could quickly get lost, but we're not going to. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12a but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So there's two sermons here that I'm going to get through in about two minutes each. Okay, so this first sermon would kind of center on verses 7 through 10 in which Paul gives some backdrop into and in explaining this unity and this body of Christ metaphor. Because what Paul is saying is, and this is now kind of my take, you might get a little bit of a different take if you hear another message on this passage. But what it appears is, is that Paul's referring back to, remember the book of Revelation? And Joey going back to the beginning and saying, man at one time was given the deed to this earth, right? And we were to rule and reign over it. And to live and he will be our God, we will be his people. It was the Garden of Eden. 
But then sin entered in, and the deed was signed over, wasn't it? Remember, Joey, you preaching on that? The deed was signed over to Satan. And Satan then began meddling into the things of this earth and ruling and reigning in the earth. And what Paul is saying, now what Christ has done is that when through his death and burial and resurrection, he went down into hell and took back the keys of life and death, and he rose out of there, he ascended on high, and as he did, he said, hey, church, I'm going to give you spiritual authority. Here are the keys that I took back that originally were yours. Satan took it, and now I'm giving it back to us as a church. He's giving us spiritual authority to operate unified and to operate in this world with some spiritual authority. So that's sermon one. Sermon two is about the gifts that he mentions, that he gave to us. And here he's talking about gifts of spiritual leadership. Now, there are many other gifts. You go into the book of 1 Corinthians, and you can study them. So there's many diverse gifts within the body of Christ. But here Paul specifically is talking about, in the context of this spiritual authority, he's talking about the spiritual gifts of spirit that... that that lead out with spiritual authority. So apostles and prophets, what have the apostles and prophets done? They've given us the word of God, right? The prophets of old, the writers in the New Testament, the apostle, the prophets of old, the apostles of the New Testament of the first church, the beginning church. And they wrote these things down. We now have the word of God from them. And we have the gifts as well of then of pastors and teachers and evangelists, those who administer the work in the church and build the church so that we can have authority within the church and that people are equipped. He didn't leave us just helpless and all alone. So Paul's going into all of this discourse to talk about how we have been empowered to live in unity, and to grow in maturity. And so finally, and I, I do want to say this, there's some irony about those gifts that he mentioned because this is all again in the context of unity, right? So he's wanting us, the church, to be unified. We are one body. We're all apart. Christ is the head. We're the body. And I'm just a callus on the backhand of God, just so you know where I fit in the body of Christ. Just that little callus back there on the backhand of God, or a wart or something on the backhand of God. But I tell you what, I'm a part of the family of God. I'm a part of the body of Christ. Where was I going with this? Oh, I know. The irony of these gifts that he said have been given to the church, you know what? The church currently can hardly even handle that. Do you know we have a divided body of Christ over these gifts? Like, 
well, there ain't no prophets no more today, and there ain't no more apostles today because, well, you know, they, they're the ones who God used to begin the church and give us his word, but we don't have those, uh, those gifts anymore today. Yeah, it was just for those people back then. And then the next person, are you kidding me? We need the prophetic word of God to come into the house of the Lord this morning, and we got apostles so-and-so coming here to give us that word. And so, phew, and we forget about humility. We forget about patience. We forget about forbearing with each other. And we lose the context. We lose the whole point. And that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. He said, we need to grow up, and this is where he goes to now in these remaining verses for this morning. So Ephesians 4, 12 through six, 12b through 16. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body, okay, Sorry, you ain't got no choice. If you in Christ, he gonna be working towards maturity in you. And yes, he wants us to surrender, but I also know God enough to know that he'll drag you along sometimes too. Because sometimes we just really ain't sure about that refiner's fire. And we come in a little bit kicking and screaming a little bit, and they're gonna lie to you, but it's good. He's maturing us. He's growing us up. Uh, in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and ligament. How, re how many remember Pastor Lyndon Huptomai? Whoo! I got one, two, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Hoptimai, this joining together, it's the cement, right? You got bones in your body. How do those bones stay together, stay in place so that we're not doing the Jim Carrey sort of thing, right? Right? Because our bones are hoptimized, they're bonded together by these ligaments. These ligaments bond them together and that's the picture that he's getting at where we grow and build where it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work we each we each have our own responsibility people when we confess Christ and it's important These verses most artic clearly articulate what should be the goal of every leader in every church. Preaching at you, Joey. 
the maturity of his people. Okay, you know, I know Joey would love to see, you know, a carpet campaign where all 100,000 bucks came in like within two weeks. And all but about two or three seats filled. Hallelujah! God is good. We're being blessed. Hallelujah. Everything's going my way. You know that song from Oklahoma? Oh, what a beautiful morning. What a beautiful day. Why? Because everything's going my way. And that's not at all what we're getting at. The goal of the local church is for the maturity, the growth of the people in the church. Maturity comes from the Greek word teleos. And the main idea behind the word is complete, whole, perfect, and full-grown. James 1, verses 3 through 4 says, And you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Mature and complete, having reached the end or purpose for which it was intended. In other words, Christ already has a vision for us this morning. And are we being drawn into Christ's vision for us? Now, I want to be very clear here. It almost sounds like maturity means that you're somehow perfect. And that's not at all. Maturity is not about perfection. In fact, Job was considered, they called him Job, you know, the perfect man. He was without blame. But the question is, was Job really blameless? Was he without sin? Absolutely not. And Job sinned. Job fell short of the glory of God. But what is clear is that Job lived his life wide open to the Lord. He, he, he lived like this to God. And he lived in the fear of the Lord. And he had humility. He exhibited humility in his life. And he loved his wife. And he loved his family. And he was faithful to his family. He was concerned about his family and all of these things. And so, I mean, even Job, though, at one point had to be kind of rebuked, didn't he? Where God said, hey, Job, brace yourself like a man. Enough complaining. So Job wasn't about perfection. But this word is used in the context of what God wanted to do in Job's life to move him from here to here, from glory to glory to glory, Job was willing to do. Amen. And that is the maturity that's being talked about in this situation where you run into a situation in your life and you know right in the middle of it, that God is testing you, amen? And we have those tests pretty much near every day. We're tested about our attitudes. We're tested about our integrity. We're tested about our own security in Christ, and all of these things will be tested. Um, I remember years ago, but it's so clear because I knew right in the middle of it I was being tested, 
if I was going to handle this in a mature fashion or not. But this is when we still lived in Cincinnati. So we're going back to like 1995 or so. And uh, we had just adopted David, and we knew we were going to be adopting more kids. And so it's like, it's time to have a van. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're that, you know, at that stage in life. So I had to go buy a van. Now, you have to understand, I've worked in the church and social work all my years, right? I've never really had big money, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not complaining. God's blessed me, all right. But I'm here to say, kind of had to pinch pennies along the way. And so for me, when it came to buying a van, financially managing that, uh, even as we knew we were going to be adopting more kids, Phyllis was, you know, being stay-at-home mom, and be like, eh, so we got to pinch our pennies. So I went out. And I went from place dealer to dealer to find the van, get the best deal on a van, right? That was my goal. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? And so finally got to this one dealer out on Glenway Avenue in Cincinnati, for those of you familiar with Cincinnati. And they had like a, a, a new, hang on to your head, they had a new Ford Windstar. You remember those vans? It was just like a year or two old, like just had 30,000 miles on it. And so I had a check in my pocket, and I had a 1990 Ford Tempo that I was going to say, hey, I've got this 1990 Ford Tempo, and I've got this check. Will you trade it even deal for this Windstar van? And they said, well, let us check your car out. And while you do that, why don't you take your van home to your wife's uh, they went and checked out my car to make sure, was, you know, the car was in good shape. And I took it over. Phyllis, Phyllis was feeding David over lunch. Phyllis went and test drove it. And it's like, hey, yeah, we, this would be a great deal. Because before this, all they'd been giving me was like fans, vans that had like, you know, 80, 90, 100,000 miles on it. And I was moving up to 30,000. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> I'm good at this. Came back, and they, yeah, the car's in good shape, you know. So, yeah, well, we came around and made this deal. They're like, well, do you have, like, another 500 bucks in your checking that you could write out? And I was like, oh, man, you know, I got, you know, no. I'm, you know, I'm going into ministry up in Columbus next year, and I just don't have the money. No, I don't know if I said that or not. I'm just making up the story kind of as I go. Because it's like... A, <laughs> It's about 30 years old, so the details are <laughs> slipping on me a little bit. The tenor of the story is accurate, though, okay? The, the, the gist of what I'm getting at is accurate. <laughs> and so we, we do, the, do the transaction, and all the paperwork signed, and I walk out to the van. I hop in it to, to take off the lot, and then the guy goes, hey, I'll throw in a wash for you. And they didn't have, like, a car wash. So they had this guy comes. I'm like, oh, cool. I get a free car wash out of the whole thing, too. Great. And so this guy's washing the van. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm, I'm, the man. I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, we're going to be And all of a sudden, the, the finance guy, who had just, you know, 10 minutes before, you know, signed everything, comes walking out. He goes, Knocks on the window. Yeah, hey, what's up? 
my van's still getting washed, and he's talking to me through the window, and he goes, oh, hey, man, hey, we can't do this. I'm like, what do you mean? We can't do this. Your car is a 1994 Tempo. I said, well, that's what I told you. And he said, no, you told us it's a 1994 Ford Tempo. No, I said it was a 1990 Ford Tempo. If you heard 1994 Ford Tempo, well, that's on you. It's not on me. Paperwork signed. We got a deal. I'm out of here. Well, no, we can't let that happen. You know, we're not going to send the title. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, the proverbial steam's coming out of my ears. Oh, 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 now you're threatening me, huh? Oh, so now I got to go get me a lawyer, huh? <laughs> and about that time, the Holy Ghost starts talking to me. And the Holy Ghost said, you know what, Miller? An honest mistake was made. And they're saying, on that honest mistake, they're just simply saying, no deal. I'm like, oh, God. Come on. They can afford this better than me. And I start rational. And then it's like, no. God starts reeling me in. <laughs> and it, it just came down to, okay, a mistake was made. Are you going to fight it? Because then I knew my issue wasn't with them. It was with the Holy Ghost. I just, okay, I let it go. Just let it go. Well, it got me a Dodge Caravan. With like 80,000 miles on it. 80,000. <laughs> Point being is there's that spiritual battle going on and the Lord wanted to know, am I going to handle this in a mature way or am I not? Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's work all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to be able to distinguish good from evil. So a couple things here to break down is that this differs a little bit in terms of its use. The word teleos is used in a little bit of a different context here. And this now is focusing in on the process of experiencing and w operating and moving in Christ. There's nothing wrong with spiritual milk in and of itself. What Paul is saying, though, is that you are now still just talking about the death, burial, resurrection teachings of Christ... And this is now, a, a number of years later, this to in the book of Hebrews, this is a number of years later, you should be over here operating in these things. The maturity referred to in this point is for those who walk the talk and not talk the walk, right? Anybody got that t-shirt? Been there, done that? Do you walk the talk or do you just talk the walk, right? Do you really know Christ, know about him, 
or do you, have you experienced Christ in your day-to-day? It's about cognitively knowing about Christ rather than experientially knowing about Christ. Tony Evans makes, uh, uses this example when he talks about, you know, example of a football team. And a football team's getting ready for a big game. And so the offense t- goes over here into this room and they break down, they, they talk about the new plays that they're developing and they break them down, examine them. And the defense is over here talking about new defenses that they're going to utilize and incorporate into things. And then... After a while, guess what? You got to leave the room. (laughs) You got to get out of the classroom and you got to get out to the practice field. You got to get out into the field and then the offense and the defense line up against each other and then you start tackling each other and then you take a hit that you weren't expected and then all this chaos starts ensuing around you and the question is, then do you still know the play, right? Has what you've taken in here and put out into the, the reality of executing these plays, how are they working for you now? It's one thing to come to church and get fed and say, hey, wasn't that a great sermon today? Wasn't that great worship music today? And it's another thing to take what was said in that sermon on Sunday morning And then Monday morning comes around, and what's it doing for you then? And so all of this, remember, is in the context of what Christ has done for us. Joey spent the better part of an entire morning talking about Paul being a prisoner to Christ. We've lost our rights because of what Christ has done for us. And this is the little bit of how we repay it for him. Look at verse 14 again. Who by constant use have trained themselves to be able to distinguish good from evil. Mature Christians recognize tests and and, and mature Christians Get the word of the Lord for the test. And that's what the Apostle Paul here in this passage in Ephesians and then moving on into Hebrews is getting at. Uh, Mature people have trained themselves to discern the spirit. They've trained themselves to know what God is saying in their situation so that we and we mix it up with day-to-day life we can hear, we can discern what's going on, what to say or what not to say. Do we say something in this situation? Do we not say something in this situation? If we do say something, what do we say? These are all things, these are all tests, these are all components of this this maturing process. And I'm going to end up this morning by picking on Joey a little bit. Joey picks on Macy sometimes, so Macy slipped me a hundred bucks and said, "Could you pick on <laughs> Joey?" Four hundred bucks, sure. Come up with an example. 
So I'm going to end up a very practical, discerning situation involving Joey. The hat. The hat. Really, Joey, a hat. Are you serious? You had to pick the hat? Or? So first of all, Okay, we're going to bring maturity into this. And I'd like to think most of you are still here this morning because you are mature. A lot of you maybe just, whatever, you know, it's fine. Joey, you do you. It's fine. <laughs> but I don't remember, Joey, exactly what, but you, you said something to the fact that you felt like the Lord was asking you to do this. Whoa, ding, 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 ding. A mature Christian, number one, would go, really? Joey, you sure the Lord told you that? You sure you just ain't losing some hair up there and want to cover it up? <laughs> Sorry, Joe, I told you, picking on you. I didn't even ask for permission. I'm just picking on him. I didn't tell him this was coming. So, but here's the thing. Anytime, including yourself, when you feel like God is asking you or wanting you to do something or he's saying something specific to you, or someone else says, well, the Lord told me, a mature Christian will, will first of all, run it through the word of God grid, right? Number one. Well, how many know then that brings up another quandary. How many know that, biblically speaking, someone could argue and say, Joey, you absolutely did not hear the word of the Lord. Oh, come on. 1 Corinthians 11, people. Right? It talks about men not having their heads covered while they're praying or prophesying. What you going to do with that? So a mature person then, having run it through the biblical grid, is going to say, is it permissible? Or was he mishearing God? And he should be confronted on it. So that then becomes into play. And as we know here, and without getting into the details, but within our particular church conference that we're under, when it comes to the cultural issue of women wearing a head covering, and their hair is a covering, but it's not the only covering. It's, not, it's talking about a literal physical covering in Scripture, that women should wear their hair covered their hair is a covering, but there's also a physical covering. If you go study that passage. And in that passage, and so that brings the question then, well, in, in that culture, it would have been much like what you see with the Muslim women that you see in culture now increasingly, right? Or see on TV, where like their entire head is covered. And that's much the picture of what the Apostle Paul is getting at. And what our church conference has said is when it comes to this particular passage, 
we simply, we acknowledge that, we respect those who have a conviction that you make a direct application of a physical head covering or men not having a head covering to today's culture. And there's 114 conservative Mennonite pastors who said, we're going to let that be up to the individual church or the individual's own conscience. And that's the freedom then that Joey had to operate in on. Okay, so we're continuing to be mature and discern through this and walk through this, right? But then there's still another issue. Our current culture, right? He's wearing a hat in church? I mean, I go to a basketball game and men are respectful enough to at least take their hats off during the playing of the national anthem, let alone God. So we can use our current culture to quickly form an opinion. And I guarantee you there are people not sitting in some of these seats this morning because of the hat. We just had a visitor a couple weeks ago that I talked to in the break, right? And, well, I like for my pastor to respect things more. And that's, that's the question. So is Joey, does the Bible says everything's permissible, he can do it. But is it expedient? Is it wise? So you have to understand all of these things I don't know what your process has been. Maybe you're just like, cool, Joey. Go ahead, wear a hat. But this has been my process, right? Not because I'm a paragon of virtue of more maturity, right? I'm just saying as an example of how we walk through what can be sensitive issues among us. So the question becomes then discernment. This is what... This is what the writer in Hebrews is getting at in maturity. So that, what, I just read it. Oh, good grief, where are my notes? But so that through training, you'll be able to discern good from evil. I'm not saying Joey in any way meant it for evil, but I'm just saying Satan could use it for evil. Satan could use it to bring division and strife and in the local church. So then it becomes an issue of discerning. Now, I haven't spoken to the elders about this in terms of where the elders came out. The elders have given him permission to wear that hat, or he still wouldn't be wearing it. The elders could have pulled him aside and outvoted him in their, in, in their elders' meeting and said, Joey, we understand you, but, you know, for the sake of expediency, I mean, yeah, expediency in our culture today, please don't wear the hat. They haven't. And I don't even know if they even all agree with him in terms of themselves, but as a group, they've, we trust you, or they've discerned something. And I was at a church in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago, uh, months ago now, with my son. And I suddenly got this discernment why I believe God asked Joey to wear that hat. 
for someone who grew up in the church in a pretty nice conservative Mennonite church and people were to walk a certain way and talk a certain way and look a certain way, um, you know, something like this would have just been... <sighs> Point is, is that the Lord gave me a sense of discernment why he asked Joey to wear the hat, even though one could argue it flies in the face of Scripture and it flies in the face of today's culture. It flies in the face of expediency. And so, again, I'm just saying this is all. Thanks for letting me pick on you, Joey. Appreciate it. Joey's mature enough to be able to let me pick on him on something that is that is that is potentially for some people sensitive. And my point is, is one example of how God wants us to, when we come up against these things in the body of Christ, he doesn't want us to just quickly jump to conflu- uh, uh, conclusions, draw our opinions, and blah, 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 because that's what our culture does. Aren't, aren't we sick and tired of that? People just running at the mouth over every, the moment something comes on the floor, you know, social media, whatever it might be, in, in our culture, and even face-to-face at Walmart or wherever, the moment something doesn't go someone's way or it irks them in some way or they're offended by it somehow, it's immediately, blah, 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 blah. And, and the author, you know, Scripture is saying, people, we're all a part of one body. Let's go through this in a mature fashion. Let's grow up. Amen. Father, thank you for this call that all of us have into maturity. Um, May we each day be mindful of these imperatives, these commands about how we then should live in light of what Christ has done. May we just go, Lord, whatever, whatever you ask for me, yes and amen. And to the flesh, yes, it is scary. But to the soul, it is life. To the soul, it is nourishment. To the soul, it is strength. To the soul, it is freedom. To the soul, it is courage. All these things that we so much want to have incorporated with us. So use, use our day-to-day to draw us into that maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace. Thank you.